John chapter 15 this morning, John 15 and verse 7, we're just going to read one verse this morning, but I will be referring back up to the previous six verses. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now just as a matter of a review, the instruction in John chapter 14 took place in the house of uh, Martha and Lazarus and Mary. Remember that. In that chapter, our Lord taught his followers concerning faith, concerning love, uh, concerning obedience, and the necessity of the Holy Spirit being present with us and in us. Chapter 15 opens with our Lord instructing his disciples of the necessity of a spiritual union with himself, being tied to him spiritually. And how that union is revealed in bearing fruit in the Christian life. The summary of the first six verses can be wrapped up in verses 5 and 6. John 15, 5 and 6. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, he that is tied together with me, dwells with me. And I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. We saw last week that there are two kinds of people who seek to join themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. First is those who truly repent uh, and who believe the gospel message and are converted. And they find themselves in Christ and Christ in them. But the second group are those who are seeking religion, but not a life-changing religion, not a lifestyle change. True Christianity, as we saw last night, or last week, changes the life. It is life-changing. It continues into eternity with God. Religion, man-made religion, has the ability to change a little bit on the outside, But it cannot produce the spiritual change on the inside in the heart. John 15 opens with our Lord teaching that a true relationship with him results in a life that brings forth spiritual fruit. This truth encourages us to first look at ourselves, to see the fruit that God is working in our life. But then it causes us to seek to help others who profess to be Christians to help them grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so that they too can bring forth fruit. And we've looked at that on a number of different occasions in a number of different ways. John 15, 7 opens up again with the words, If you abide in me. He's already made this statement on several occasions in this chapter. It is a reiteration of a truth that we've already looked at on several occasions. And I thought to myself as I was reading it this week and beginning to prepare for this morning, what are we going to learn from the fact that he says this so many times? (laughs) And uh, the thought came to me that true Christianity often takes a lot of repetition to be learned. Now, we don't easily learn the things of God. I spent 25 years of my life learning the things of the world, and then God saved me 24 years of my life, and then God saved me, and I've spent the rest of my life trying to learn what it is to be a Christian. And I've gained some ground, I think, a little, and there is so much more to learn. And when I read the Scriptures and see this repetition... I am reminded over and over again how often God says things and then repeats it and then repeats it. And it's not redundancy that he's looking at. It is because we have a hard time grasping the truth of the matter. And so chapter 15, verse 7, 
opens up again with the instructions, abide in me. Now the word abide is used 12 times in the Gospel of John. It is found, I mean, by, by the writer of the Gospel of John. It is found nine times in the Gospel of John. And then it is found four times in first, uh, or uh, three times in first John. So 12 times John uses it out of, out of the whole of the scriptures. The other 16 times that it's found in the New Testament, it always refers to dwelling in a house or a place or remaining in a calling, a job. None of the other 16 times mentioned does it refer to abiding in Christ or dwelling in the things that have to do with Christ. Only John uses it this way. And so when we see this, John is the only writer in all the New Testament that takes up this Greek word and uses it in relation with God. Our relationship to God then is one of abiding, of dwelling, of remaining with Him. He uses our Lord's instructions and then His own instructions to teach that the relationship we have with the true and living God as Christians and with His Word must be kept, must be guarded, must be preserved. We dwell in Him, and He dwells in us. We dwell in His Word, and His Word is to dwell in us. And you can see immediately that with regard to the Word of God, that that takes a lot of time. That didn't happen the first day you were born again. That didn't happen after you were a year old in the Lord. There has to be this continuing if there is to be this understanding of Christianity. Last week we learned that we had a personal responsibility to abide in our Savior. To lay, we have laid hold of Him in repentance by faith. We have come to Christ. He has received us as His own. He dwells in us. We dwell in Him. Now we have a responsibility to nurture that, to, uh, to, to uh, abide in our Savior. We learned that we had already been made clean last week. Remember, now you are clean. Present tense, possession, completely clean in the eyes of God. Salvation cleanses us in the eyes of God so that there is no sin in the eyes of God. But though we are now clean... In, by our Savior, when He saves us from sin, and though He has given to us His righteousness so that we can stand before God righteous, yet at the same time, we are responsible to uh, remain clean before the Lord, confessing our sins. It does not remove our personal responsibility to be actively involved in maintaining a vital connection to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ tells us part of the, how that is done in verse 7. True Christianity produces in us a desire to remain close to our Lord and Savior. Something inside of us desires to remain close. We don't always remain close, but we desire to. And when we wander out of the way, something inside of us tells us you're not close. Does that ever happen to you? And then you come back. And you realize that relationship was messed up. And I'm the one that messed it up. And I need to get back to where I was. That happens in true Christianity. It also produces in us a holy awareness. That we not only need to remain close. But if we turn to the right and to the left. We need to get back to where we were before we turned. Abiding in Christ, then, is expressed in the New Testament. Remember last week? Acts eleven twenty three, Cleave unto the Lord. Acts eleven twenty three. The word cleave teaches us to remain close by, to stand by, to continue, to be glued to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember Jude 1, 21? Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep your, yourself there. The word keep means to hold fast to. To keep it in memory. 
to keep in mind that God has loved you and does love you. It actually comes from a Greek word that means to keep it before your eyes. To keep looking at the facts, the fact that God has loved you and that God's love for you has resulted in you becoming a Christian. Keep looking at that. And then the Hebrews text, Hebrews 10, 39, where he says, we are not those that draw back to perdition, but those who believe or keep on believing to the saving of our souls. And that Christians were to continue to exercise, as Christians were to continue to exercise our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust Him today for what this day brings forth. I'm finding as I am um, interacting with more and more Christians uh, with the things that are going on in our country, that people are troubled. And uh, the root of it seems to be that they have not yet taught themselves to trust God today. They go back to a time when they trusted the Lord to save them. They go back to certain periods of time when trusting Him was more real than others. But they face circumstances in today that seemed to them that God cannot be trusted in this situation. And that's a dangerous place to be. And if you claim for, to be a Christian, that is a very dangerous place to be because now you've laid aside faith. And it is faith that is continuing to trust in Christ that is defining true Christianity. We are to trust Him, seek Him, rest upon Him day by day. I've had and you've had days when our soul have been troubled. When we left off believing but it didn't last long because we couldn't stay there the trouble of our soul brought us back to the feet of Christ as it were where we once again sought him and trusted him so abiding in Christ means that we are to continue to trust him and to continue to trust that he loves us that his love has not failed because circumstances seem to change God doesn't. That we are to steadfastly hold on to Him despite the circumstances. His, that phrase in, found in Acts 11.23 is found uh, in the instruction given to churches that were under persecution. You cleave to the Lord in a time of persecution. You trust His love. You keep believing Him. Keep trusting Him. Steadfastly hold on to Him. Cling to Him as your Savior with all your heart. And in doing so, you find that you receive from Him the strength, the grace, the nourishment to grow in grace and in knowledge of Him. The ability to face the day. To seize the moment as a Christian. Abiding in Christ. But our Lord doesn't just stop there with abide in me. The second phrase is, and, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Now, you've heard me preach before and teach before that sometimes the word and is used to link two or three things together. Together, and each one of those things can be removed. I have an apple, an orange, and a banana. And now I have an apple and a banana. This has been removed. And uh, I have this and that and that. But that's now been removed. But the second way that the word is used in the scripture is I have this and this and this. And they're linked together in such a way, bound together in such a way that they cannot be separated. I've used the example of a lady making a cake. You put the flour in and what? You put the sugar and you put the salt and you put whatever else you put in. I'm going to, I'm going to mess up on the ingredients. And when it's all together, you've got this, 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 this. But you can't separate it anymore. It's bound together into one cake. And that's the Greek word here. Abide in me and if my words abide in you, bound together inseparably so they cannot be divided, cannot be taken away. 
So what we're taught here by our Lord, as he tells us, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, is that when you are abiding, abiding in me, my words are abiding in you. And we begin this process as a new Christian without knowing anything about the Word of God. As newborn babes, we begin to desire the sincere milk of the Word that we can grow. And then we grow, and a little bit more, and grow, and a little bit more, and grow, and a little bit more, until we reach a measure of maturity where the Word of God is feeding us. We go from milk to... Uh, um, to light food, to strong meat. And we're growing, and we're growing, because these two things are linked together. He showed this already in this connection between himself and the Word in John fifteen three. Remember that? Now you are clean. How? Through the Word that I have preached unto you. Through the Word that I have spoken unto you. You are presently clean through the message I gave you, through the words that I gave you. You believed them, you trusted them, and I removed your sin from you. I saved you and I cleansed you. Here in verse 7, he shows us his word must remain in us, and it does remain in us if we're a true Christian. It must be part of the life of true Christian. It must remain with us if we're going to be true Christians. One of the Things that I have seen over the course of my ministry is that people who profess to be Christians after a while give up on the Word of God. They lay it aside and they try to live out their Christian life by the best they can and eventually they fall away. We see it here in this community in which we live. People who say, yeah, when I was 12, you know, or when I was 15, or when I was 8, or when I was 9. I mean, they, people give a testimony. I walked out, I prayed this prayer. You know, once saved, always saved, preacher. And, well, when's the last time you've been in church? Well, you know, I'm a member at, at First Baptist. Well, how long has it been since you've been there? Well, I went to the funeral of Brother So-and-so. He died about 20 years ago. I have a Bible somewhere. Let me get it out and kind of dust it off. But that's the state of things. And it's sad. And it's contradictory to what Christ is saying right here in this text. The true Christian brought into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is also brought into a relationship with the Word of God. Whether they have the complete of the scriptures from the Old Testament and New Testament like we have the privilege of having in this country. Or whether they have a small portion of it and have to hide it in a nation that's destroying the Bible. By the way, I found it interesting that now Antifa and BLMM not only burning American flags, but they're burning Bibles. In Portland this week, they've, not only, they've gone from burning buildings and burning things and cars to burning flags, now they're burning Bibles. They're bringing Bibles and stacking them up and burning them. Isn't that interesting? Why don't they, why don't they burn uh, the copy of Karl Marx's writings? No, something like that. No, 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 it's got to be the Bible that you burn. And there are nations where the Bible is forbidden, and there are nations where the Bible is not translated fully in, a, in the mother tongue of the people. But whatever portion they have of it, they want it because they've been brought into a relationship with a living God. They've also been brought into a relationship with his word. And whether they have the, all of the books or whether they have one copy or a portion, they're hanging on to it. There's been time in the history of Christianity where Roman Catholicism banned the Word of God from the people and wouldn't allow it to be put into the mother tongue of the people. There was one Bible in a strange language in the church building and the people came there and were at the mercy of the priest to tell them what it said. And when people tried to translate the Bible out of that language into the English, those people were killed sometimes and those copies were burned. That's the history of Christianity. But if a page of it got free from the burning, they would hide it and think about what it had to say. 
We're brought into a relationship with Christ and brought into a relationship with His Word. Jesus Christ has already said in John 6 and verse 30, uh, 63, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. John 6 and verse 63. The words I speak to you, they are life. They form a part of Christianity. They become part of your life as a Christian. In 1 Peter, in chapter 1, the Apostle Peter in verse 23 through 25 says these words concerning how we come to be born again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. Being born again, being born from above by the means of the Word of God. As God takes His Word and births us into His kingdom. And Peter continues, which liveth and abideth forever. For the all flesh is grass, and the glory of man is at the flower grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, thereof falleth away. Uh, not fadeth, but the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. And as the gospel is preached, and men believe it, and they're born again by the means of the word of God, then they become, it becomes part of their life. Part of them. And it begins there at the new birth. And something inside of them says, I have to have something of this. I have to have something of it. No one is ever converted without God using his word in their heart. If you genuinely want to be a Christian... If you say to me, preacher, I want to be a Christian, but I don't know at this point what all that means. My counsel to you is open up the Bible and begin reading it. Take the Word of God and open it up. It is that which God will use to help you to understand. It is that which God will use to give light to you in your dark corner. Take up the Word of God. Search it for yourself. See if what God says is true or not. No one is ever converted without it. It is interesting to me the things that Jesus Christ says to those who are very religious during the time of his ministry on earth. Very religious, but are not saved, are not converted, are not true followers of God. I'm going to quote out of John 8. I'll give you the addresses if you're taking notes. John 8, 37, 43, 45, and 47. Let me just quote. I'm going to take portions out of each one of those verses. John 8, 37. My word hath no place in you. My word has no place in you. John 8, 43. You cannot hear my word. You're not listening. You cannot hear. You will not hear. Verse 45. I tell you the truth. You believe me not. In verse 47. Ye therefore hear them not because you are not of God. You can't hear my words because you're not of God. You see the connection here. My word has no place in you. Why? Why doesn't it? If you want to become a follower of Christ, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to have your sins forgiven, it, it, it's, the message is found here. And so it begins there. But secondly, the true Christian cannot live without the word of God. He, he finds he needs it. He cannot learn of his God without the Word of God. How can we know who God is without His Word teaching us? He does not know what true Christianity is without the Word of God. He does not know how to live as a Christian without the Word of God. 
I was lost. I had some religion, very little, but I was lost. I was converted in the summer of 75. I don't know what Christianity is. I don't know anything about this life that I've been given. How am I going to learn about it? Well, I find it in the scriptures. Christian does not know what he should believe about God. What should I believe about God? I was taught as a Catholic. I was taught as a Mormon. Jehovah Witnesses tried to tell me this. What am I supposed to believe about God? What am I supposed to believe about Christianity? About what Christianity is? About life and living? None of that can be found outside of the Word of God. And once a person is converted and they have Christ in them, they are brought into a relationship not only with Christ, but they are brought into an inseparable relationship, inseparable relationship with His Word. Righteous Job said in God, of God's Word in Job 23, 12, I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. Job 23, 12. Something inside of Job says, I need the Word of God more than I need my necessary food. And I need food in order to stay alive. King David said of God's Word, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Psalm 19.10 Speaking of the Word of God, it is more to be desired than gold. Nothing wrong with gold. We need gold. It's money. We need money to live on this earth. It is important that we have it. To have a food and um, take care of our things. But more to be desired than that is the Word of God. He's not saying you don't need gold. He's saying you need the Word of God more than gold. Solomon said of God's Word in Proverbs 8, verse 11, All things that may be desired, referring to everything that may be desired for life and living in a physical realm, are not to be compared to it. What is it that a man desires? Well, he needs food, he needs clothing, he wants a job, he wants to be responsible, he wants a wife, he wants a family perhaps, he wants a house. What does he desire? All things that are to be desired for life and living are not to be compared to the Word of God. Doesn't mean that a man ought not to desire these things. It just means that in comparison to the Word of God, they diminish in their importance. Because the Word of God is sweeter, is more important, is more necessary than all these things. I have a lot of things in my life, a lot of things that I've desired. I'm surrounded by, uh, in, a, in, a, in love by a wife and children and grandchildren. I have a lot of things for which I give God thanks daily. I am a blessed man on the earth. I am. My physical blessings abound. And I'm thankful for them. And when God has done something more than that for me, He's given me something spiritually to give Him thankful for. Give Him thanks for. The Apostle Peter said of God's Word, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Are you also going to go? Where are we going to go? <laughs> when it comes to your word, it's the only, you're the one that has the words of eternal life. And our Lord Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 16, 26, What is a man profiteth if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If God were to give you the whole of the world and, lo and you lost your soul, you have lost something that is more important than all that you can gain in the world. Our Lord has already taught this truth in John 8. In John 8 in verse 31, He said these words, If you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed. So here's the question. How is it that the Word of God should abide in us? How is it that we are to 
take up the responsibility of having the Word of God remind, abide in us, remain in us, dwell in us. I'm going to just now turn to some practical applications here as we begin to think through. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. What does that mean for me in a practical sense? First, the word of God does not abide in you unless you are reading it. It seems so simple, but unless you are reading it, it will not be there. We must begin by reading. There is no substitute for the personal reading of the Word of God. I was raised in a religion that says, don't worry about the Word of God, don't worry about reading it. I've told you before, I was 24 years old before I picked up the Bible for the first time and to begin reading it. There was no Bible in my house when I was raised. I went searching for it at the age of 12 and again at the age of 17. Found a little prayer missile, but found nothing of the Word of God in my house. It was 24 years old before I picked up the Word of God and began reading it for the first time in my life. We must begin with reading it. Time must be taken to read the Word of God. I'm not going to tell you how much to read or how much time to take, but time must be taken for you to personally read the Word of God. Second, it is also important, I believe, and the Bible confirms this, that you try to memorize it. If there is no physical copy of God's Word available to you, if you have it stored up already in your heart, it is there. If you're out and there is no physical copy of the Word of God and the door opens and somebody asks you a question, what are you going to say to them? Can you quote the Scriptures to them? Memorize it. David said in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. It helps you. It's hiding it in your heart. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, and I want you to look beginning in verse 1. Proverbs 2, and I want to read these verses and sort of emphasize certain statements in them. Go with me over there. The book of Proverbs chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1. If you're in Psalms, it's the next book to, uh, to your right. Psalms, Proverbs... All the poetry is in one section in the, old, in the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 1. My son, if thou will receive my words. God is speaking. If thou will receive my words and hide my commandments within thee, with thee. He not only speaks of reading them and receiving them, but hiding them him. If you're going to do that so that thou incline thine ear. So that you, you give yourself to inclining toward onto wisdom, you're listening to what the scripture says, the wisdom of it, and you apply your heart to understanding, you're seeking to understand what it says. Verse 3, yea, you cry after knowledge, you want to know what the word of God says. You lift up your voice for understanding, help me to understand what this is saying. Verse 4, if you seek if thou seekest her, that is the scriptures, wisdom particularly, understanding also, if you seek her as silver, wow, seek her as diligently as you seek earning money, and search for her as hid treasure, if you knew that on 25 acres of my land, there was a million dollars of gold buried, Six feet under the earth. It's there. How will you be spending your days? <laughs> With a shovel and a pickaxe. You'd be searching for it. It's a million dollars. And it is there. But it's on 25 acres. I'm not going to tell you where it's at. It might be under that stock pond. What are you going to do? You know what you're going to do. Children, right? You know what you're going to do. 
You know, go looking for it. What does Solomon say here about the Word of God? If you search for her as a hid treasure, that is, you're putting some effort into it. And then verse 5 begins with that word, then. If, 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 then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you read and search and ask and seek and cry out, Lord, give me understanding. If you're searching, you will, then you will come. It is important to read and to memorize. It is also important to meditate upon the Word of God. It is good to read it. It is better to spend time memorizing it. But it is really, really good to take some time and roll it over in your mind. To roll it over in your heart and to think about it and to give some thought into consideration to it. Just take one verse and think about it. Emphasize different words and what is God saying here? And roll it over and over again in your heart. When I was in high school, I played football. First year out on the football field, I didn't know which end of the field was mine from the other team's other end of the field. I didn't know anything. And they had me in disposition. And I had to do certain things. I had to do it over and over and over again before I finally learned to do it and got it right. Got on the first job. Hired. Clocked in on the first day. This is what I want you to do. I haven't got a clue what he just told me to do. I had to do it over and over again until, okay, I got this. That's life. It's also Christianity. It's thinking about it. It's over again. It's thinking about it and considering it. It's meditating. It's rolling it around. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law doth he meditate. When? Day and night. He's thinking about it. Now I know I got to work and you got to work and I got to mow my grass and I got to do this and I got to do that. But you're thinking about things. Psalm 119, verse 99 and 100. If you got the scriptures that open, turn over there. If not, I'm going to quote them. Psalm 119, verse 99 and 100. I remember when the Lord first gave me some insight into this. Psalm 119.99 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. David is saying, I have more understanding than all my teachers. He's referring to the Word of God. For thy testimonies are my meditation. Because I've been rolling the Word of God around in my heart and mind for years. And I've sat as a student before the, uh, before the rabbi in the, in, the, in the synagogues. And I now I'm up here in age and I'm king of Israel. I understand more than they do in the synagogue. Verse 100. I understand more than the ancients. Because I have kept thy precepts. Not only have I thought about them and meditated on them and they become part of my life, but I sought to do what God has said. And with that doing, I get understanding and wisdom. And David's not boasting here. And he is not lifting himself up here in this text. He is stating a simple truth that the most common of men, a sheep herder, who became a military man and later king of Israel, and the most common of men can know more of the Word of God if he will just think about it and consider what it has to say. When I went into the state of Tripura in India and I began to teach the people the Word of God and to began to instruct them daily in the Word of God and some of them were illiterate and had to have the Word of God read to them and they couldn't even write and, and they would memorize the Scriptures that I gave, I would 
put it up on the text and Peter would translate it and others would quote it to them and they would memorize the scriptures and the leaders, the doctors of theology of the Baptist Union would come to their village and say to them after about seven or eight weeks, don't listen to that man from America. He's lying to you. We're the only ones with the truth. You just listen to us. And this timid rice farmer would raise his hand and stand up in the congregation and say, Sir, what about this verse? And he would quote it. Well, I don't know about that, but this is what we believe. But, but sir, what about this verse? Well, I don't know about that, but this is what we believe. But, sir, sit down and shut up. But, sir, what about this verse? I can see y'all are too ignorant to understand what we believe. And he storms out. I've just given you an exact accounting of what happened in a village Baptist church after the word of God came to them. And the man with a degree, the ancient, the teacher, who didn't know the word of God but stood on man-made religion by a simple farmhand quoting the scriptures, which is shut down. David is not boasting. David is not claiming to be something that he's not. I know more because I meditate. Because I seek to keep. The simplest Christian in this room who will take up the Word of God as his treasure and read it and memorize it and meditate on it will pick up the most difficult of commentaries, the most voluminous commentary, hold it like this and peel it open and know more. Don't be blinded by the letters at the end of a man's name. Take this up. And search and see if the guy with the letters at the end of his name actually is telling you the truth. As I've said to you, as Paul would preach, they took, they searched the scriptures to see whether these things be true or not. As I have preached to you, I've said, search the scriptures to see if these things are true or not. It's on you to take up the word of God. Abiding, God's word abiding in us, reading it memorizing it, meditating upon it. But there's one other thing I want to deal with. And that is this. That it is absolutely important that what God gives us, we give out. The Bible is like a, is a, is like a fountain of water. And we are like an empty vessel. And when we are full, we're full. That's it. Can't get any more. But if we are giving it out and it is flowing out, then there's this constant flow in as it goes out and we begin to mature. It is important that we share what we know with others, whether it is one verse or a handful of verses, share it with somebody. Use the word of God that you have learned and you will learn more. Give the word of God away and God will give you more. Use God's word to help others, especially those in your church. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 16. Colossians 3, 16. Here Paul, instructing the local church at Colossae, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you. There's that word. And my word abide, dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom. And then he says, and all wisdom. And he puts a semicolon. And now he's going to explain. Teaching admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. The Word of God dwelling in you, now you teach and admonish. And it leads to worship. It leads to worship. Paul's instruction is, as the Word of God dwells in you, you're to give it out. 
And in Hebrews chapter 5, Paul chides, corrects the Hebrew believers to whom he's addressing and says, for when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again of the first principles of the oracles of God. The oldest church at the time of this writing on the face of the earth was the church at Jerusalem. Established by our Lord Jesus Christ before he went to the cross. They have been established since at 30 or so A.D. They have not been yet destroyed, so it's not 70 A.D. So sometime, and they're, but they're close to it, as Paul writes in verse a, uh, chapter 8. Sometimes close to the end of 30s, 38, maybe th- uh, 39 years, close to the end of the 60 A.D.s before 70 A.D., Paul is writing to these people. The oldest known church on the face of the earth at that time. And he says, you should be teachers. You should be the one teaching the Word of God. Not only this Jewish church have a foundation in Old Testament doctrine, though error had crept in, Christ had corrected it. He had brought you into His church, and the apostles, all 11 of them, have been the first teachers in this church. And then they went out and began to scatter. James is there. Peter was there before he went to Babylon. And they had been grounded over and over again in the Word of God by the apostles themselves. Persecution arose. Some of them were scattered, but the church stayed there. In Acts 15, Paul comes there. They have a church council on what the gospel is, and that issue is settled Paul goes out and deals with the Gentile churches. Peter and others remain there for a while. And now it's getting close to 70 A.D. And Paul is writing them a letter because they're now going back to Old Testament sacrifices, leaving Christ. They're going back to circumcision, leaving Christ. And he says, you should be teachers, but instead you need to be taught again. And he comes down to verse 14. That was, John, that was Hebrews 5.12 that I quoted. And he comes down to verse 14. And he says, But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, those that are mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Strong meat, Christian maturity comes and flows as you use the Word of God. It's not good enough just to know it. Use it. And the church of Jerusalem was not using it. They had looked out on the Gentiles and a lot of men had gone from that church to the Gentile churches and preached circumcision. Error had crept in. They had not corrected it. The church was a mixture of Old Testament thinking and New Testament thinking. Finally, in 70 A.D., Jerusalem destroyed. The churches were scattered. Use the Word of God or you will not grow. Use it. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will. And it shall be. uh, What is it? And it shall be done unto you. That's the second half of my message. I'm going to reserve it for next week. But let me just give you a nugget to take home with you. If you abide in Christ and his words abide in you then you begin asking and you can ask for whatever you want but now you're asking under the umbrella of God's word. Now you're asking under the teaching of what God under the revealed will of God. And once you come to that place where you're asking under God's will that is what comes. That's when the answers come. Not 
I want a pink Cadillac or I'd like to have an SUV. Not, but under here. Under here. What does God's word say? And does God's word say this? Well, then I can ask it. Does God's word say that he will strengthen me? Then I can ask it. Does God say anything about helping me? Then I can ask it. Does God say anything about open doors? I can ask. What about my daily food? Does God say anything about that? I can ask. I can ask. What about the spread of the gospel? God say anything about that? Yes, that I can ask. There's things I can ask for because God's word reveals it. And these are the things that God says. And if you ask abiding, the word of God abiding in you, if you ask that way, then you have it. And we'll get to that. Uh, but I've given you in a nutshell what that means. Brethren, Christians, we abide in Christ and His Word should abide in us. Read and memorize and think and meditate and use it and you're going to find something happening that you, you're going to find out as you look back and it's not even going to be perceptible that you're growing. You're understanding. And all of a sudden you're in the middle of a conversation and something comes out and you think, wow, where did that come from? And it was the Word of God. And it was a year ago or so or a month ago that you had thought about it and God just used it right then. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. That I'm in the middle of a conversation and just something opens up. And it's just There. It wasn't because I went into the middle of the conversation thinking, I've got to get this and this and this and I've got to line these up now I can talk. No. It's just there. It's there. And that's what we need. That's the kind of Christianity that was first century Christianity. Remember, persecution is all around them. The Word of God is sparse in those days. They need it. To take the Word of God with them in their hearts. May God give us that ability. Let's pray together.